Jesus is in the rightful line of kings, that he descended from King David, and therefore he is qualified not only to be a king of Israel, but to be the Messiah. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Who were the Magi? For what purpose did they make their famous journey from the East after the birth of Jesus? And were they the only ones seeking to find the King? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part three of his series titled, Let Earth Receive Her King. Throughout this series, we're looking at the birth of Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. And as you'll discover today, the rest of the story focuses on the responses of people to Jesus as King. In fact, this account serves as a kind of mirror in which you can see yourself. You are in this story because you're reflected in the responses of the people of that day to Jesus and His birth as King. What role do you play? Let's find out as we join Tom now on The Word Unleashed. Matthew chapter 2 introduces us to the reality of the first advent of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, it's important for us to remember that Christ's first advent, that's what we call it, was in one sense not His first advent. It was really His return because the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, has often been in this world that he created before that first Christmas day. You remember he was there at creation. John tells us that he made everything, and without him not anything was made that exists. It was the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, that walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. It was he who appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob to Moses in the burning bush, and later those days he spent on Mount Sinai. It was the eternal Son of God who was with Israel throughout the Exodus, who was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He was, throughout Old Testament history, appearing in a mysterious figure called the Angel of the Lord. And it was His glory that overshadowed the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and later in the temple. It was the second person of the Trinity that appeared to the prophets. You see, He has always been the mediator between God and man. And so when we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, that Mary gave birth to a son and Joseph called his name Jesus... Understand that this is in reality not His coming, but His return. So why was it different? What made this time unique is that unlike all other times, He came as one of us. He became fully human. In fact, when we first meet Him in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 2, He is a small human child less than two years old. You know, we, we talk about this at Christmas time, and we celebrate this, and we talk about the baby in a manger. I'm not sure we ever really get the fact that we're talking about God the Creator becoming a creature. 
becoming one of us. But it's important to understand that he didn't just come as an ordinary human child. No, he came as a king. He was an ordinary human child in the sense that he was like us, body and soul. But he was non-ordinary in terms of who he was. He came as king. And this week and next, as we celebrate Christmas, I want us to examine a remarkable account that happened shortly after Jesus' birth. It's an account that's familiar to every one of us here. And yet, like so many things that are familiar, I think most of us here this morning have never really reflected deeply on this account. We don't really understand it, and we don't really come to grips with its far-reaching implications. I'm talking about the story of the Magi. Now, let me just at the beginning say to you that I'm going to pronounce it that way throughout this sermon, Magi. Because, as I learned a few years ago, that is the only pronunciation in the dictionary. So in the interest of being correct, that's what I'm going to to do. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then Opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, this account is obviously very important to Matthew. After all, as we just saw in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25... Matthew records the actual birth of Christ in part of one verse. And yet he spends most of chapter 2 filling out this account. As well, when you come to the end of chapter 2, between chapter 2 and chapter 3, there is a gap of almost 30 years. From the time Jesus was less than 2 years of age until he was about 30 years of age and The ministry of John the Baptist begins in chapter 3. 
It would have been very possible for Matthew to have skipped this incident altogether. After all, none of the other Gospels record it. But Matthew includes it because it is crucial to his purpose for writing this Gospel. Over the next two weeks as we study this passage, I trust its theme will become clear, but let me give it to you just so you are sure not to miss it. Here is the theme of this paragraph and really of the entire book. Jesus is the Messiah and the only rightful King. He is the King of the Jews. He is the King of all the earth. He is the King of every man. Make no mistake, Jesus is the main character in this story. The reason the other actors appear, including the Magi, is simply as a foil so that we can see the reflection of their response to the king. Matthew is going to make it clear that Jesus is the main character of the story as he unfolds this account which has captivated Christians for 2,000 years. But he begins by introducing us to the setting in which this event occurs and, and introducing us to the supporting cast, which are still important to the story. We find the setting and the supporting cast introduced in verses 1 and 2. Look at them again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now let me just warn you, that is as far as we will get this week. Lord willing, next Sunday morning, on Christmas morning, we will fill out the rest of the story and really the heart of the story. But today, I want us just to set the stage as Matthew does here in these first two verses. So let's begin by looking at the story's setting. The story's setting. Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews, and he wrote it in order to present Jesus as king, but not just another king of Israel, rather as the king who would be Israel's long-promised divine Messiah. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew immediately informs us that this is his purpose. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he begins by saying, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He begins with his thesis, and then he embarks in a genealogy there in chapter 1, which exists to prove that Jesus is in the rightful line of kings, that he descended from King David, and therefore he is qualified not only to be a king of Israel, but to be the Messiah. He is a legal descendant of David through his adoptive father, Joseph. You remember that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. They were engaged under Jewish law. That meant that any child Mary had would become legally Joseph's, even if that child was not actually his. And so Jesus is a legal descendant of David through his legal father, Joseph. Then there is the record we read earlier of the, the birth announcement to Joseph, and he takes Mary 
and Jesus is born at the end of chapter 1. Now, when you get to chapter 2, Matthew embarks to show us that after the birth of this one who was the long-promised Messiah, he is affirmed as king and Messiah. That affirmation in all the gospel records comes from several unlikely sources. In fact, I thought this Christmas about studying Luke's account of Jesus' presentation at the temple when the old Simeon comes up and prophesies over Jesus, or, or when Anna recognizes him to be Israel's Messiah. So the witnesses to his being Messiah are, are most unlikely and unusual, but, but I think none of them more so than the witness of those we call the Magi, or perhaps in your translation, the wise men. What I want us to do is see if we can sort of separate the truth from all of the fiction that has grown up around the story. First of all, we need to consider, when did they come? When did the Magi come? Well, verse 1 makes this clear to us. First of all, generally, Matthew tells us in verse 1, this happened after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. That's obvious, but it's there for the record. Matthew records Jesus' actual birth, as I said, in just one verse, chapter 1, verse 25. And in chapter 2, verse 1, we learn where he was born, in Bethlehem of Judea. The reason Matthew says that is there are two Bethlehems in Israel. One of them is in the north, in Galilee, but then there is the one in the south, in Judea. This one, the one where Jesus was born, is located about six miles south of Jerusalem. Its name, Bethlehem, simply means house of bread because it was rich in agriculture. In fact, there were granaries there, and so it's the house of bread. It's really a, a small, insignificant town. The time of Christ There were probably less than a thousand people who lived there. Fewer people than will attend our services this morning were in the town of Bethlehem. But it was significant for two events that occurred there in the Old Testament. The first of those was the the meeting and marriage of Ruth and Boaz in the book of Ruth. And because of that, the second one was true, and that is the birth of their their eventual ancestor, David, who was born and raised in Bethlehem. And so this this small, insignificant village figures large in the history of the nation. It was the city that produced the entire Davidic dynasty that ruled over the southern part of Israel for more than 400 years. It was after Jesus was born, that's when the Magi came, Now, Matthew adds that these events happened in the days of Herod the king, verse 1. In the days of Herod the king. This is Herod the Great. He reigned from 40 B.C. until his death in the spring of the year 4 B.C. We'll learn more about him next week, but just suffice it to say, he became king over Judah and Judea in 40 B.C. and reigned until the spring of 4 B.C. Now that tells us when the birth of Christ was. We know from this story that that Jesus was born before Herod's death. That means that Jesus had to have been born somewhere between 4 and 6 B.C. when uh, they started 
hundreds of years later to calculate the turn of, of the era, the Christian era. Obviously, there was some miscalculation that went on, but they got close, all right? So somewhere 4 to 6 B.C. So they came after Jesus was born. They came in the days of Herod the king. There are a couple of other time clues that are important. A third one is that this incident had to occur at least 40 days after Jesus' birth, and that's true for a couple of reasons. We know the the Magi were not there on the night of Jesus' birth. You remember when the shepherds found um, Jesus? They found him in a stable. Actually, you can visit the place where Jesus was born. Almost certainly, um, you can visit it today. It's a cave near Bethlehem. It is the one of those sites that there are few of them in Israel, but one of those that is almost certainly authentic. Many of us have had the chance to be there, and perhaps as a church, we'll have the chance to go back again. You can visit this place. It was a cave hewn out by shepherds and weather and time where Jesus was born. But in this incident, notice verse 11, we find Jesus living in a house in Bethlehem. So I hate to tell you, I hate to sort of rain on your creche, rain on your nativity set, but, you know, mine has it too, but they probably, they almost certainly were not there on the night of Jesus' birth. If you piece together the timeline from the other Gospels, here's how it unfolds. Jesus is born, and then you have eight days later, he was circumcised and named Jesus, as the angel had said, both to Mary and to Joseph. Then, 40 days after his birth, he's taken to the temple in Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph leave Bethlehem. They travel six miles north to Jerusalem. And there, according to the law, where the firstborn was to be presented to the Lord, they present Jesus at the temple. What happened that day is recorded in Luke 2, verses 22 to 38. According to Luke 2, 39... After those 40 days, after the dedication of Jesus at the temple, they returned to Nazareth, apparently just to collect their things and to actually move to Bethlehem, because the next time that we find them, they're living in a house in Bethlehem. And after this account that we're studying together, you remember the, they, they traveled to Egypt to escape Herod. They come back intending to resettle in Bethlehem, But because of the political situation, they can't, so they get their things, and they go back to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus grows up, so that the prophecies about him could all be fulfilled. So, that's one way that we understand some time had passed. In addition to that, another way we know that it was probably 40 days that passed after Jesus' birth, before the Magi came, is the travel time that was required of the Magi. They likely came from Babylon, as we'll talk about in a moment. And the main trade route from Babylon to Israel was about 800 miles. If they traveled the average of 20 miles a day, remember the star appears at the time of Jesus' birth, they traveled the average of 20 miles a day, which is what they traveled in those days, it would have taken about 40 days to have traveled the distance between Babylon and Bethlehem. So taking all the evidence together then, the events of Matthew 2 occurred at least 40 days after Jesus had been born. There's one other time clue, and that is we know that the Magi arrived less than two years after Jesus' birth. 
because of this story. Remember in verse 7, Herod investigated the exact time the star appeared so he could pinpoint the time of Jesus' birth. And then tragically, down in verse 16, Herod murdered all of the children two years of age and younger in Bethlehem and its surroundings. Why? Because he had ascertained the timing of the, the star appearing, the age of the child, and knowing Herod's wicked nature, he had undoubtedly allowed a margin of error. So somewhere less than two years. Forty days to two years. Now notice verse 1 says that they arrived in Jerusalem. The star appeared at the time of Jesus' birth. By the way, there is no indication in the text here that the star led them all the way to Israel. In fact, it seems to imply exactly the opposite. And they didn't need the star to lead them to Israel. They already knew this was going to be the king of the Jews, so they knew where to go, and where would they go but to the capital city of Israel, where its current king reigned. That's where they would expect the king of the Jews to be born, and where they would expect to find him. So that's the story's setting. That's sort of the, the time setting in which all of this occurs. But also in these opening verses, we meet the main supporting cast. The main supporting cast. Who were they? Well, they were the Magi. Who exactly were these men, though, that, that arrived in Jerusalem and unsettled an entire city? Notice how verse 1 describes them. They were Magi from the east. It's interesting how this simple gospel account has grown into a legend that is larger than life. In fact, m much of what you have heard about these men is absolute fiction. So before we lay a foundation for what the Scripture does teach, let's sort of clear the way here by, by making it clear what the Scripture does not teach about them. That is in all the popular stories of Christmas. First of all, they were not kings. They were not kings. There's no record anywhere that they were kings. That, that apparently began because there are Old Testament passages that say that kings will worship the Messiah, but they are not specific prophecies of these men. In fact, we know from history they were not kings. Instead, they were king makers, which factors even more importantly into the story. Secondly, there probably weren't three of them. There, again, is no record anywhere that there were three. That's an idea that arose naturally from the fact that there were three gifts. Uh, we just don't know how many there were, but there's no indication in the text. There is no historical basis for believing the tradition that, that didn't arise until near the end of the 6th century that we know their names. You've probably heard them. Gaspar, Balthazar, and originally Melchon, who was later changed to Melchior. One of them was probably not an Ethiopian. That idea comes from a, a, a misunderstanding, thinking there were three of them, and some have even hypothesized that maybe they were descendants of the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and, and therefore over time manifest different racial makeup. There's, there's no indication of that biblically. And let me say that it's almost certainly not true that the three skulls found a thousand years later by the Bishop of Cologne that are now on exhibition in the cathedral there are in any way 
authentic and the skulls of these men. Now, all of that is legend. None of that is in the inspired text. But let me just say to you that the truth about these men is frankly stranger than the fiction that has grown up around them. Let's look at it together. There's so much we can learn about them from history, both biblical history, which we'll see in this text, as well as secular history. Let's begin there. According to Herodotus, the ancient Greek historian, the Magi were originally members of a Persian priestly caste. A Persian priestly caste. In other words, they were from what is modern Iran. They were teachers of science and religion. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, Let Earth Receive Her King. Tom will have part four for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Does the Bible speak about the government and structure of the church? In his book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, Tom Pennington presents in-depth evidence from Scripture to show that God intends every local church to be governed by a plurality of godly men. In an age where a biblical ecclesiology is often neglected, it is critical to recapture what the Bible teaches about the structure of the church. Purchase your copy of Tom's book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.